The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear on 1010 WOLB are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio 1, its sponsors, or advertisers. Thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners, because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities. Okay. And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress. Yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the 1% interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house, dollar lot program, because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the streets scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and not have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I got to get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the, the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses don't tell me that's not by design. We've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let there be no doubt. Justice delayed is justice denied. Hello, Baltimore, and welcome back to 
to another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show. And I'm your humble host, Tyrone Boast. And um, we're here. Um, first of all, let me acknowledge the fact that it's Veterans Day. And, and um, there's a lot of, uh, and let me say this first and foremost, blacks have served in every major conflict in U.S. history, beginning with the, with the uh, um, American Revolution. And um, as a matter of fact, the first black man to die in this country in, 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 in conflict was a man named Christopher, Christmas Attucks. That's the first black man to die in the American Revolution. And that's what set the country off to where, where it is today. Um, okay, so and also we had a lot of famous uh, Megar Evers, for instance. We had not, a lot of famous black uh, men that were um, exile veterans or, or veterans who have served in the military. Uh, Megar Evers served in the highly decorated sergeant. He uh, served in uh, World War II. Um, uh, Perrin J. Mitchell, um, he, uh, the, the, the late great Perrin J. Mitchell, uh, served uh, in World War II as well, in the 92nd Division, I believe. And uh, he received a Purple Heart. He was wounded in battle. Um, he was an officer in that in that in that conflict. Um, uh, you had uh, um, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson served in the Black Panther unit, an all-black tank battalion, and uh, they had more, the most continuous days in battle in the European theater uh, in the U.S. Army at that time. Um, however, Jackie Robinson was court-martialed because he refused to go to the back of the bus. Okay, they had an incident where Jackie Robinson was actually um, on a military base, and he was, he was being treated. I think he was being treated for a broken ankle, and he got on a bus, a military bus, and um, one of the officers' wives aborted the bus, and they ordered him to go to the back, and he refused. He refused to do it. He said, "I'm a, I'm a lieutenant. I'm a lieutenant in the United States Army. I'm not going to the back of the bus." And he told, he, and the officer, the, the uh, guy that the bus driver backed down, but he called um, his chain of command. And called the military police and had Jackie Robinson arrested. So, um, as, and, and it gets even deeper than this because Jackie Robinson had to go to OCS, in order, which is called Officer Candidate School. Any enlisted man that has the qualifications can go to what's called Officer Candidate School. And um, I attended it. You know, you're, you're enlisted. I started as an E1. By the time I made sergeant, I was sent to uh, Officer Candidate School. And it's very rigorous, very rigorous. Um, and um, you, they only graduate like a third of the class. It's, it's, that, it's that hard. And everybody there is pretty much, you know, everybody, rah, rah, you know. Jackie Robinson was sent to that school, and they're really hard on blacks when I went anyway. And I'm sure when Jackie Robinson went, they were, they were hard on him because we didn't graduate that many. We only graduated three from my class. And I know that for a fact. We started off with like 100 and uh, I think 20 people or something like that. We graduated 30, and only like three of them were, were, black, were black men. And I still know those guys to this day. And this was back, this wasn't even that long ago. This was, so I I realized that you know Jackie Robinson for him to get <laughs> out of OCS you know with his attitude and his temperament that was quite a feat. So and and it was Joe Lewis you know who was also in the army at the time that protested because they didn't want to accept him. So he gets out of OCS. He gets down to um, the um, army uh, base and they <laughs> try to get him moved to the back of the bus and he's not having it. Okay, so. Um, they call the military police. He's he's. Uh, they tried to court martial him, but his commander refused to do it because you had a white man commanding an all black battalion. He's not gonna, you know, <laughs> he's not gonna do that. So he refused to do it. So they transferred him to a unit that would do it, <laughs> and uh, he, they got him court martial because in the way the military works, you're you're commander. You can't make the commander do anything. Give out medals, nothing. If you don't want, if you, if you don't feel it's right, 
you can fire him, but you can't make him do a damn thing because he's in command. And that's that's what they give, you know, to that authority to the commanders. So, and that's why the, uh, with De- Jessica Lynch, that her commander refused to give her a medal for bravery because he said it was nonsense. I'm not going to do it. Even though he had all these politicians like Bob McCulsky try to get him to do it, he wouldn't do it because they couldn't make him do it. All right. So, <laughs> at any rate, he gets court-martialed. And um, and that was the end of his military career, basically, because he was standing up for his rights as a, as a human being, you know, not just as a man, but as a human being. OK, but let me put it to you this way. We fought every major battle and most of the black people that, that I served with were, were excellent soldiers. And uh, we always thought in our minds we were fighting for freedom and we were we thought we would make it better for black people, you know, for what we were doing. And we always tried to excel. Um but, you know, you may believe what you want and things maybe didn't, they didn't work out that way when we got out or whatever. The last engagement that I was sent to, and we don't make policy, we got to obey orders, was a, um, an engagement called Operation Iraqi Freedom. Okay, so on the surface, that all sounds great. You know, you're fighting for, for freedom for people, you know. And um, you know what? Uh, you know, the thing, as it turned out, it seemed like that war um, wasn't really what it was touted to be. And the reasons we were there, I don't feel like were the reasons that were touted. And uh, you know what? As a soldier, you're you're sworn to uh, defend the Constitution. That's why I said it's very important that we uh, look at the Constitution and, and make sure it applies to us. Because, you know, that Constitution, as far as um, you may not want your constitutional rights, but me, I think me and my family, we're entitled to everything that Constitution says for anybody, any white person, Okay. Because you're certainly subject to the penalties. If you do something, do something wrong. See if your butt don't end up in jail, okay? Or, or or get sued in court and see if you don't lose your property. So you're subject to the penalties. You might as well be subject to, you know, the value of being a, a, a full citizen. And if you don't have that value, you need to fight for it. All right? And that's something. That's another thing you learn when you're in the military, You when you uh, engage in fighting for other people's freedoms. You understand the value of freedom because those people are willing to die for their freedom, Okay? And most people in the world that don't have it are willing to die for it. So, but we we we're you know we don't realize the value of it, and sometimes we don't want to even fight for it. Um, so what we're going to do? The first thing we're going to do is um, there was a, a man named Audux Huxley, and he wrote a Brave New World. It was a dystopian novel, you know, about people giving up their free you know their freedoms to let robots take care of everything, their needs, and all that stuff, artificial intelligence. And um, that is number. 81. Now, one of the things he said in this thing, this was in 1958. He was interviewed by Mike Wallace. And one of the things he said about, one of the things he said was that um, uh, people would come to love their, with the new propaganda, people would come to love their enslavement. You know, people, you actually want people, you people would actually want to be enslaved with the proper use of propaganda. Because what happens is they deal with your emotions, you know, at a level below your rational thought. So if people start dealing with your emotions, you know, you got to be very careful because it's below the level of reason. And when you get people like that, it's called brainwash. And um, but uh, let's go ahead and play it, Jason. And I'll explain why uh, I find this very uh, is his some of the things he said in 1958. Very fascinating. Talk about drugs and everything. This is Aldous Huxley, a man haunted by a vision of hell on earth. A searing social critic, Mr. Huxley, 27 years ago, wrote Brave New World, a novel that predicted that someday the entire world would live under a frightful dictatorship. Today, Mr. Huxley says that his fictional world of horror is probably just around the corner for all of us. We'll find out why in a moment. 
which must be the situation in all communist countries where the television, where it exists, is always saying the same thing the whole time, is always driving along. It's not creating a wide front of distraction, it's creating a one-pointed drumming in of a single idea all the time. It's obviously an immensely powerful instrument. So you're talking about the potential misuse of the instrument. Uh, exactly. So, we have, of course, all technology is in itself morally neutral. These are just powers which can either be used well or ill. It's the same thing with atomic energy. We can either use it to blow ourselves up or we can use it as a substitute for the coal and the oil which are running out. You've even written about the use of drugs. Uh, in Brave New World, partly by these uh, new techniques of, uh, uh, of propaganda, they will do it by bypassing the sort of rational side of man and appealing to his uh, subconscious and his uh, deeper emotions and uh, his physiology even, and so making him actually love his slavery. I mean, I think this is the danger, that actually people may be in some ways happy under the new uh, regime, but they will be happy in situations where they oughtn't to be happy. We believe, anyway, that we live in democracy here in the United States. Do you believe that this brave new world that you talk about could come here to our shore? I think it could. That's why I feel it's so extremely important here and now to start thinking about these problems, not to let ourselves themselves be taken by surprise by the uh, new advances in technology. I mean, for example, in, in regard to the use of the drugs, we know there's enough evidence now for us to be able, on the basis of this evidence, and using a certain amount of creative imagination, to foresee the kind of uses which could be made by people of bad will with these things. Okay, so you see how how uh, much forethought this man have. And I, again, people jumped on me about Iron and Sky and all this stuff, but if you haven't read the book, 1984, where it was all about surveillance. You know, people, you couldn't even shave without a camera seeing you. And uh, that's how they controlled the society. If you spoke out against it, they vaporized you. <laughs> so, so you know, and, and the thing I didn't like is that what he was saying about they when you use propaganda, you want to appeal to below the rational mind. You want to use emotions. When they get, you know, people have lost their, their relatives involved, and trying to convince them that this is the way to, to solve the problem, then that, that that irks me because I understand I understand the techniques involved in that. And I and by me having been in the military and going to certain schools, I understand about winning the hearts and minds of the citizenry. So by them appealing to the pastors and all this other stuff, it's just it just looks too too um Orwellian to me for me to accept something like that. And when based on the knowledge I have about the civil rights movement and about how the FBI used surveillance to spare out the leaders. And uh, the CIA injected crack to pay for wars into our communities. And, um, you know, this stuff is all documented. You can look it up. I'm making stuff up. I mean, we fail to, a lot of times to know what's going on. But, yeah, me, with the knowledge I have, it's hard for me to accept something like that. And it's hard for me to debate with somebody that don't have that same level of knowledge. Because they can be easy. When you don't know certain things, you can be easily, easily duped to accept things that on the surface appear to be helpful. But in the long run, when you weaken the Constitution, and you're right against illegal searches and seizures and things of that nature, in the long run, it can be used against you. So if I see something that's going to help me, but it weakens the Constitution, <laughs> I'm not going down that road. And, and besides, I know more effective ways, you know, uh, more effective ways to uh, stop murders. You know, that, you know, stop, you have to catch a person if you have surveillance in order to stop a murder. After they committed the murder, they have to kill me first, okay? Or kill you first and then before they can get caught. Now, the, the, the programs that we're trying to advance are programs that stop the person from being a murderer in the first place. You know, just get them out of the game. Okay? And that's the things we want to look at. And that, but they want to do it on the cheap. They want something like that where they ain't got to spend, expend no dollars putting black men to work 
or train them in the trades or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's the cheap, cheapest way to do it, but it may not be the best way in the long run when you're dealing with um, um, the possibility of losing constitutional rights. Now, we're going to talk about racism now. And uh, racism, a lot of people think that racism mean, means that somebody's mean to you. I hear people saying, well, Donald Trump never used the N-word. Okay, he's not going to use it because what that is is uh, – so stop waiting. What that is is um, uh, what they call immature racism. When you start using um, names and stuff and calling people names, Donald Trump's father has been sued, um, one of the largest <laughs> lawsuits in history for discrimination in housing. No doubt in my mind, the man is not a racist. And um, if you know anything about him, his, and his father was also arrested uh, as a KKK member. So, so I mean, okay, so you can debate this with me all you want. And people, oh, he had a black girlfriend. Okay, well, you know what? The slave masters had um, uh, baby mamas that were black. Okay? That doesn't stop them being slave masters. So, so let's stop, you know, dealing with emotion all the time, and let's start dealing with fact. Okay? Let's do some research before we start supporting people and things that we are, know nothing about. And if I don't know something about something, I will not support it. And once I do learn about it, if it's detrimental, I will definitely not support it if it's detrimental to black people. Okay? And you got people like the um, Greater Baltimore Committee supporting this stuff. They, they never support black people in anything, you know, in the city. So, I mean, come on. Okay, the, the other thing we want to do, okay, as I said, we want to we want to study um, deconstruct white uh, privilege. Uh, so we're going to go with that. And this woman is named uh, Dr. Robin D'Angelo. She's a professor uh, at University of Washington. And he, she wrote the book, um, White Fragility. And uh, that's number uh, 83, uh, Jason, I believe. It's a breakthrough if you can get white people to acknowledge that our race privileges us in this society, right? That is like the second coming get white folks to admit that we are privileged by our race. But even that begins to get superficial. And you'll hear white people say, well, just because of the color of my skin, you know, I have these things, as if this is just an accident that happens. And I want to take us deeper. I want to take us inside this the skin. White, by the way. My psychosocial <laughs> development was inculcated in the water of white supremacy. That is what I call this system. I don't mean the KKK. I mean a system in which whiteness and white people are central and seen as inherently superior than to people of color. My personality was formed in that water. My worldview was formed in that water. I didn't choose it. It isn't my fault. I'm not racked with guilt about it. I can say this, but, but I you am won't responsible it. I'll let for the white changing woman tell you. it. Because the default of our society is the reproduction of racism. It's built into every system and every institution. And if we the just live our lives and carry on in the most comfortable ways for us, we will necessarily reproduce it. There is no neutral space. Inaction is a form of action. One of the most effective adaptations of racism since the civil rights era is this idea of a racist is a bad person right. and if you're not racist you're a good person good, bad, what i call the good bad binary and we can all fill it in right so if you're a racist then you're prejudiced and mean-spirited and bigoted and ignorant and southern <laughs> and probably drive a pickup truck so we got some classism in there right this is our uh, are racist. And if you're not racist, you're good and you're progressive and you're open-minded and you're educated and you're northern. Um, and this binary is probably the number one construct 
that keeps racism today in place and makes it nearly impossible to talk to white people about racism. The defensiveness we have comes from this binary. What we hear is, you just said I was a bad person. And so this binary sets, sets it up to be mutually exclusive. You cannot be a good person and be complicit with racism. So you'll notice in the news when racism gets talked about, you'll, they'll bring in the evidence they'll have to, to defend the person that's being accused of racism is, but he's a really nice person. Yeah, and I'm sure Amber Geiber was a really nice person. Okay, so you get to see that what she's saying is correct. All right, so um, when you say that the, you, and they narrow it down to an individual instead of a system. And so an individual is quite easy for them to say, I'm not a racist. Or, I got black friends. I got, and those are some of the things they will say. Or, you know, I, I worked at two cubicles down from a black person. And, uh, I hired a black person the other day. But black people are not, and for the most part, are not a part of a lot of white folks' lives. The majority of white people go through life without even counting black people, to be honest with you. Um, because we live in segregation, we don't realize that. And um, and a lot of the times we, we're occupying urban urban centers. So, um, okay, so the next thing that we want to talk about, we, we, we've talked about um, contracting a lot. And um, Charles brought this up last week about um, some of the significance of things that are going on. There's a Supreme, there's a um, case before the Supreme Court on November 13th. It deals with the Civil Rights Act of 1863. But before I get into that, and this is Byron Allen, by the way, is, has a lawsuit in the works that can possibly get the Civil Rights Act of 1863 repealed. Now, a lot of people know about the Civil Rights Act of 1864. Very few black people know about the Civil Rights Act of 1863. Okay. So, and a matter of fact, the first, um, um, veto by a United States president was by Andrew Johnson, who was a Southerner that Lincoln tried to unite the country, put a Southerner as a vice president from Tennessee, Andrew Johnson, uh, not realizing that he was going to get his brains blown out in a few days, you know, or whatever. So he puts this guy as vice president. So guess what? Hey, you know, now the, the leader of KKK is the president of the United States. So all these things like um, 40 Acres and Mule, these things were out the window when this guy took charge. And the first thing he vetoed was that Civil Rights Act of 1866. Uh, and they, oh, Congress, the, what they called the Radical Republicans at the time, because Abraham Lincoln was a Republican, by the way, different Republican Party. The Radical Republicans overruled his veto. And that was the first presidential veto in American history and the first one overruled. And that led to him being um, impeached. He was, there was only two presidents impeached in American history. One was Andrew Johnson. And the other one was Bill Clinton. They impeached him because he was blocking everything uh, possible against um, black that, you know, for <laughs> the benefit of black people newly free from slavery to kind of give them some equal footing. You know, and mainly what he was setting us up for was um, uh, uh, what they, what's known as um, uh, um, economic genocide. Yes, that's the term, economic genocide. So economic genocide is a very um, potent thing. You know, to be just totally neutered economically. And that's one of the things that occurred. White people know about slavery. They believe that everything ended with slavery. No, we had uh, over 100 years of Jim Crow right after that. You know, and that was just an extension of what we had with the black codes and all that other stuff that happened on slavery. So, and then black codes were just, was something that came after slavery, actually. So you take slave codes out and put black, you got black codes. At certain places you can go, you know, without a notice from the sheriff and all this kind of stuff to keep you in your place. 
So, and then you had you had uh, hundreds of years where people, oh, I mean, over a hundred years where people couldn't sit at lunch counter, uh, eat what they wanted to, they couldn't ride the buses, you know, in the seats they wanted to sit in, all kinds of nonsense going on. Couldn't ride, ride the same uh, rail cars, go to the same schools with, with white people. And then, and in every case, it was always the white people had the better stuff. <laughs> that was the whole point. It was not so much they wanted to sit next to a white person, but the white people usually had the better stuff. You know, the schools, everything. So, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about uh, some black, um, and I see the callers up, but you're going to have to bear with me because I want to just make sure that we're on, you know, we're speaking at a, a level where we can all, you know, debate. Okay, so, and the number, by the way, is 410, I mean, 410 Is it, Jason? 410-481-1010. Okay, if you want to call in and participate, but you don't have to wait a bit so I can get these points across. Um, so we're going to talk for now. We're going to talk about black minority contractors and um, and and some of the hurdles that they're finding in the city. And a big crime reducer is the black minority contractor because they will hire ex offenders, and they know when a man turns his life around. They will hire our ex offenders, and um, you know I know I do it, and so some of my friends do it. Where you well they get turned away because they have a criminal record. We get it. We get it. We get it. Sometimes people get set up. Sometimes people, you know, get caught up. So. But we know when a man's turned his life around. So let's go to uh, 82. One, two, get down. Okay. This is Tyrone Bose uh, with the Call Tyrone Show. Um, I'm here with a, um, with, a, with a contractor, very experienced black contractor, minority contractor, um, very experienced. And uh, he may reason he's working for himself because he's got tired of the BS with the uh, – the regular contractors that he's been working with, uh, the majority population contractors. So he decided to start his own business because because he has the knowledge and know-how. I just came out of one of his houses and it's beautiful that he's restoring. And uh, he's on the team with the, uh, he's gonna be on the team with the um, Dollar House program uh, for homes. Uh, you wanna tell me about your experiences with some of these programs that are basically eyewash? Yeah, absolutely. So probably about 10 or 15 years ago, more like 15 years ago, we were introduced to a program here in Baltimore City that was supposed to allow you to purchase homes that have been abandoned, that have been sitting for a number of years that the city was trying to get, they said, redeveloped and put back into society's use. We bought 15 properties and they said that they would absolutely guarantee loans for each of these properties that we were purchasing at the time. We only come to find out that all the properties that they had during these auctions, they were giving away and then that they were auctioning away. These properties all were under the minimum. They were all under the minimum square footage that they were offered the loans to. And this was not told to anyone until after the purchases were already made and you had already acquired the properties. When we went down to go try to get loans, we kept being, you know, denied saying that we did not have enough square footage. They want us to actually go in and build the property out for the amount of square footage that would bring it up to be acceptable for the loan. If we could do that, you we, wouldn't would, we wouldn't need the loan. So these, you tell me that a lot of these programs that the city's coming up with, it's basically I want. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, a oh. program such as the Dollar House program that would actually benefit the citizens, uh, the working class citizens, the minority contractors, and with, with real loans to the citizens, not to us, but to the citizens, right. would be um, would be a big plus if you're honest about what's going on. Absolutely. It would open up the doors for a lot of first-time homeowners, people who would not 
by any other means be able to afford the house. They, they, these should become affordable properties for, for them. For working class people. For working class people that will allow them, you know, to see some of the rewards and, you know, staying here and working through all of the hardship that they've had to go through for a number of years. Yeah, they live through the blight. Right. Why throw them out when you're trying to exactly. redevelop? Exactly. Why can't they be a part of, of uh, the success story of Baltimore City? Why you Absolutely. want to throw them out when for a few people that have the means and the money to spend them into the ground? You want to throw them out of the city now? They live through the blight and all that. And, but, 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 but this is some of the um, some of the dissensions that a lot of the politicians here in Baltimore have been using against people here in Baltimore for a number of years. That is just unfair. I mean, oh, so they make programs that seem like there is a program for people. But when you look under the covers, it's just all eyewash. Absolutely. That is exactly what it is, because, you know, there's only a handful if that who will be able to meet those requirements. Right. Everyone else is going to be far you right. know, away from being able to receive anything from the city, and the city is okay with that. And I know that they have uh, had dollar house programs in the past where Absolutely. where, where they you have to show that you got $80,000 in the bank or whatever, you get an $80,000 loan, which you wouldn't need that program if you could get that. Absolutely. If you had that kind of money on hand, that kind right. of capital. Right. So these things tend to benefit the developer Absolutely. as opposed to the small minority mm -hmm. contractor, as opposed and, and the, the affluent, as opposed to a regular working class person who built Baltimore. Absolutely. We have a lot of the man force that I use at my company are, are guys who came out of fallen places within their lives that need a second chance, people who could not find jobs, who tried other programs that Baltimore City was supposed to be offering. So I offer those jobs to these people now, to these, to these young men now, who just need a chance to have someone to help to mentor them, to mentor them into a better lifestyle and a better, you know, and a, and a better work program for them. And, and you, feel, you feel that this will probably reduce crime, right? Absolutely. Because Absolutely. Uh, recidivism is based on the fact that people can't find any other way, so they go back to what they were doing, they, mm -hmm. what they know, to make money. I'm teaching them trades. And, and that's what we're trying to get to. Teaching them trades. So there was a, I have a young man that worked for me, I, I won't give his name, but he was put into a program because he had, you know, uh, substance abuse and stuff like that, and he was trying to recover. This program was supposed to offer him an opportunity for a career with a trade at the end of this program. What happens is he went through the program and got 85% done to only be kicked out of the program by some bogus technicality that he argued that he did not even, that he wasn't even at fault for, but they used it to force him out of the program before they would have to provide him with a job and a craft and a skill. Okay, so you're saying upon the final analysis, a lot of these programs are just BS to keep the citizenry thinking that you're actually doing something about the problem of unemployment for young black males. And you're, they, they're trying to pretend like they're just too lazy to I mean, want to work. You know, this guy came out and worked for me. He said, you know, my, he said, the reason why I come to work for you is because, because if I didn't come to work for you, he said, I was on my way back to the drugs and the streets because right. I felt like what I was trying to do to better myself failed me. Right, so that's why you're kicking the teeth. So we have to, as you know, a lot of us African-American contractors have to go out and try to help these young men to, you know, refine themselves and refine their purpose and place in society because a lot of them are brilliant. A lot of them have great minds. A lot of them, a lot of them have skills. Yeah, have skills, great skills. Yeah. They just need to be developed. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. I've seen it myself because I'm a contractor. I know exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. A lot of these programs, unfortunately, they fail these people and we have to pick up the slack. You know where where um, where these programs leave off. Absolutely. And um, the fact of the matter is, a lot of these uh, programs are political eyewash. You know. Absolutely. And Absolutely. then they end up kicking our people to the curb when they're done using for that political. Uh,
that, that whatever that uh, political uh, pug, dog and pony show was. You know, you know, uh, um, there's other programs they have down here in Baltimore. Uh, I can, we can. Right. I a lot of times use manpower from them. I found out that I can, we can was actually using these guys for their trade, for their craft, for their skill. Was supposed to be allowing them to continually develop their, their, their craft and their skill. But the but the higher ups at I can, we can would never tell you where all the monies went that these that, that these guys were producing. We're talking millions of dollars. Where did it go to? Because we don't see any indication of it being found back into programs that these gentlemen were supposed to be a part of. We don't find it anywhere. Oh my gosh. All right. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was a, 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 a black uh, general contractor. Uh, he does this stuff for a living. He rehabilitates houses. I keep hearing people saying black people can't do this stuff. House is beautiful. It's right across the street from um, the uh, right across the street from Carver High School, as a matter of fact, which is a trade school. And we were talking about the program and, and the things that we, you know, we as a people can do with this program. And uh, the tearing down of these houses, exclusively in the black community, is economic genocide, in my opinion, because that, those things are gold mine, and it can help our people in so many different ways with jobs, jobs training, and home ownership opportunities to create generational wealth. And right now, um, black home ownership in this country is a is at a 25-year um, low, all right? And that's mainly based on all the um, predatory lending that went took place in our communities, you know, under the auspices of, you know, a pred, you know just predatory techniques being used and, and applied to our people. And uh, some of the things that Byron, um, uh, Byron Allen's lawsuit is meant to address, you know, and, and if they repeal the, the um, if they repeal the um, Civil Rights Act of 1866, these things are going to be like um, on steroids. <laughs> and they could, not only are they going to continue, they're going to be tenfold. So this is very important. It's on the 13th of November. Um, this uh, Supreme Court hearing, very important. Uh, and probably one of the most important civil rights legislation, not legislation, but hearings uh, in in the past 50 years, you know, since the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voters' Rights Act of 1965. Okay, so let's go ahead and bring Gene on, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll bring uh, uh, Byron. Um, but call us, hold on. Yeah, yeah, Tyrone, a couple, couple of things that you talked about. Uh, one of them, one of them is what, what. This is what I find. I find it very uh, frustrating when I try to do research on, you know, buying one, buying a property that that's uh, in one of these programs. Right, right. And and so when the thing is, the value the, especially is, is, is oh my god. Yes. There's been so many complaints because of that program, and I have some on file. Just to let you know that I'm not crazy, there are people that actually have so many complaints against vacancy value. I'm talking about ordinary people, not developers. Yeah. Because it seems like they're made. these programs are made for developers and yeah. not to benefit the individual right. citizens. Because when you go to get financing, what happens is, you know, it, I, I try to keep things simple. It's about $100 per, per hundred per square foot. foot, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and that just means that I live in an apartment that's about 1,300 square, you know, square feet. Mm-hmm. And so, that, so my mortgage would be approximately $1,300 a month. Right. It, it, it's really simple, you know what I mean? So If you want to keep just, it simple. Yeah, so I, so what I did, you know, when I, in learning this, it was just a, applying 
uh, for, you know, be uh, pre-approved for mortgages. And when you do that, then they explain everything to you. And so that, and so I work the numbers out. So, but you know, that's that's me, uh, you know, personally. So that's that's my frustration. Yeah. Well, Sheila, Sheila Dixon is a um, she works for the uh, uh, minority contractors. Yeah, yeah minority contractors. Right. I have a cousin who worked in that uh, field for you know about twenty twenty years. And so, what information? But you understand what I'm saying. The minority contractors are people that will hire ex offenders, right? For the most part, they are the driving force. For, you know, actually, the, the crowd. If it wasn't for minority contractors, the crowd would probably be much worse. There might yeah. be a lot more murderers. You yeah. know, but, out here. You know, because people resort to desperate means when they're in survival mode. And the thing about hiring people that are been in survival mode for the past five, ten years, you can't expect them to come to work and be model citizens all of yeah. a sudden. you got to mentor them. you got to where people get frustrated with them and want to throw them to the, kick them to the curb. Can't yeah, do okay. that. If the band's been out here surviving in survival yeah, mode for the past five, ten years, you got to work with them or you're wasting your time. Yeah, but my point is... you got to be that, wise when you're dealing with people. Go ahead. My, my point is, is that... It's not that straight we, cut and dry. We, we, we encourage people to do these things, but they have no understanding about what they are about to embark on. Right. And then when they do, they, well, I'm become, telling frust- they become frustrated <laughs> and, and so forth and so forth. Right, right. You, when they frustrate the individual that's trying to turn his life around. It's yeah. like the, the contractor was saying that they get in these programs, and that guy was in the program for three years, the particular guy he was talking about. Yeah. And they just kicked him to the curb. They figured out a way to get him out on a technicality. Right. And, you know, something that he wasn't even responsible for, but he yeah. was nonetheless thrown out of the program before he got his rate, his uh, journeyman's rate. Right. So, and, and this happens in, in most in most of the programs. Uh, one, my son was a partic- was involved with where he's uh, writes code, and then when he found out that most of the people in that area are people from India on work visas, right? And they're being and they're being um, underpaid because they don't have citizenship. So they right, just like them. illegal aliens in construction, they use yeah, they exploit so, these people and they think it's funny. And then, you know, and by doing so, they exclude people that could have those jobs. Yeah. You know, but not taking anything from them, because if I was an illegal alien, I would do the exact same thing. Right. I'll come here because you hired me. Right. If they didn't so, hire me, they wouldn't go. Yeah. So, you know, my, my life has been, I worked in, in corporate America in banking, right? Right. And so uh, I, I learned a lot of things because I was also uh, an outside salesman, so I had to learn pricing, et cetera, right? And, but my, this is my point. What, what, if you don't have somebody who's a, a mentor to you like I am to my son, right. they'll never be able to navigate absolutely. the system once they get in. Right, absolutely. And, and, I, and I actually was, took part in a program. It was called, oh, my God, I forget the name of it. Oh, HABCO, I think that was the name of it. Well, we were training um, a project kids to fix their own projects. Mm-hmm. And um, they were telling us to be like an apprenticeship program. It had nothing to do with an apprenticeship program because it wasn't set up like one. Right. It was set up by a guy who had a Ph.D., very smart man. Mm-hmm. He had a Ph.D., but, and, and, but it wasn't in construction or apprenticeships or training jobs, training, none, but, none of that nature. He had a he was he was he had a PhD and yeah, something like smart, I mean um, he is smart language enough to start arts, a yeah. nonprofit. Yeah, he's smart enough to start a nonprofit, <laughs> but he couldn't understand the nuances that come yeah. in to being an apprentice, getting your qualifications to meet satisfy the state of Maryland's uh-huh. requirements. You got to have so many hours of school, so many hours on on hands job training. A lot of people don't understand that plumbers actually have to go to school. It's not yeah. just because you can kill somebody, you know, you can have a gas leak and blow up a whole right, block. Right. But so, they're so used to dealing jack, jack legs, people don't understand. They got YouTube now. They understand that you actually have to go to school to be right. a competent German plumber. 
No, and, my, and my thing is this. Though, so know, that's no, how that program was uh, run, but people didn't understand that. I'm sorry. Yeah, go my, ahead. My thing, that's okay. My thing is, is about nomenclature. In other words, so we say things like we use the term uh, industrial complex. And this, in essence, what we're talking about is the industrial complex, whether it be the military, the poverty, or the... the or the know, criminal. The, the prison. The criminal, yeah, yeah prison, prison industrial complex. It's exactly. A, it's, a com- it's a complex. Man. It's thank a money-making you, complex. All right, yeah, thank, thank you. you. All right, thank you, Gene. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to go to... Um, we're going to go to uh, Byron uh, Allen's Supreme Court deal where he's trying to... Where they're going to put the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1866... In front of the Supreme Court in a few more days, actually uh, the 13th, I think it's Wednesday. Um, it's going to be seen before, <laughs> for the Supreme Court. It's going to affect your grandchildren, your children. <laughs> you know, this is very important, and nobody's talking about it because the black-owned cable networks are scared of Comcast. They don't say nothing, you know, because <laughs> they're too big. They're too big to fail. You got Charter and Comcast involved in this lawsuit. Okay, so let's go to 84, uh, Jason. Donald Trump's DOJ wrote an amicus brief in favor of Com- and yes, okay. in favor of Comcast's position against us. And not only that, which we thought was unbelievable and hideous, something we've never seen. Comcast said, well, listen, we have 30 minutes in front of the Supreme Court. And Byron has 30 minutes in front of the Supreme Court. But you know what we're going to do? Comcast. This is what Comcast says. We're going to give 10 of our 30 minutes in front of Donald Trump's Supreme Court. We're going to give 10 of our 30 minutes to Donald Trump's DOJ. So now, on November 13th, we're standing in the Supreme Court in a Donald Trump era where we've got Donald Trump's DOJ arguing against us to take the original, the first civil rights statute, and eviscerate it. Hold on now, Mr. Allen. Now, given the makeup of the federal courts, aren't you concerned that this new case can undo civil rights for a whole generation? It could take us back to 1865, all minorities. So is it worth it? It's, I, didn't, I didn't petition to bring it to the Supreme Court. They did. They did. Right. And then what they did is they made what I consider, see, what I call institutionalized racism. They treat us like we are a bunch of monkeys. But I thought you look at us. That's right. Looking for a banana. So here's what they say. Hey, Byron, drop the case. Right. That's what they're trying to make you do. Drop the case. Drop the case and we might meet with you. We might work with you. Well, that's a ra- that's a racist offer. That's a that's a. I think you're nothing more than a monkey, and here's a banana. Now I'm and you're the white devil's advocate here. Yeah. Okay. Damn I mean, shouldn't you want to kind of drop the case if it's going to set us back, set a whole generation back when it comes to civil rights? No, because no, I didn't. I, first of all, we won in the in the Ninth Circuit twice. We won twice, and I didn't bring it to the Supreme Court. They brought it to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't come to us in a racist way and you don't look at us like a bunch of monkeys looking for a banana, then you do it the same way you do it with all white people. You just bam. No, you settle it up. You settle the case, and then it's dropped. And so they didn't come to us. There's no offer of a settlement. Yeah, pay it. Whatever it is, you settle it up. Okay. All right, so as um, um, Byron Allen related, uh, this is this thing is, is very crucial to our civil rights. And um, the Civil Rights Act, by the way, of 1866 didn't deal with public accommodations. 
it didn't deal with um, political um, as far as voting and whatever. The state still had control of the voters, and that's why they were able to keep black people from voting in the South. Um, and that's why Recon- De- <laughs> Reconstruction, when Reconstruction ended, oh, my God, we had like 2,000 black uh, political officials in office. We had senators. We had um, we had congressmen uh, right after slavery, <laughs> right after slavery, because black people had the right to vote. And that's how important that was. Black people actually had the right to vote. And um, you had one guy, he was a black governor of Louisiana. <laughs> the first black governor was not, Gene, was not um, Wilder, uh, Governor Wilder of Virginia. It was um, uh, a guy named uh, Pinckney uh, B.S. Pinchback. <laughs> he was not only a, um, a congressman, he was a, he was a state delegate, he was a senator, and um, hell of a guy. And he ended up being uh, uh, governor of Louisiana, of all places, you know, because black people had the right to vote. And that's how powerful you can be when you have the right to vote. Um, so right now, let's go to uh, Mark, and then we're going to go to Charles. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, how you doing, brother? Tyrone. All right, Mark. How's it going? Happy uh, hey, Veterans Day. Good, man. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day, yeah. man. And and by the way, you had a hundred thousand people, hundred seventy nine thousand black people fighting in the Civil War, because part of the Emancipation Proclamation was that you joined um, the military if you were able. That they were encouraging people. They weren't forcing them, but they were encouraging them. And nineteen thousand served in the Navy. It's very doubtful if the um. If the uh, North would have won the war, one tenth of the army was uh, of the Union Army was black, and um, the the the, uh, the South had the superior generals. By the way, you know these those generals they were racist, but they were brilliant. You know, Robert E. Lee, all of um, I hate to say it, but that's the way it was. And we were losing, by the way, for the longest time. Lincoln has fired like tw- twenty five generals <laughs> during that war because yeah, the generals. Right. Sorry, they were political appointees. Okay, go. Ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can no, nah, that's all right, man. Mm-hmm. You know, you, um, brother Will, uh, big brother George Mitchell Mitchell, he's an ex Marine. Uh, I was in during the, the Vietnam era, but still my brother died yeah, died still. at forty nine years old. Yeah. From Agent Orange related cancer, business owner in ninety seven, man. Yeah, we you were know. not we were not in the military to support white supremacy. We were supporting the ideal of freedom and our constitutional rights. You know, yes, sir. that's all. That's what we were in there for. And any other purpose that they had for us um, was null and void to us. And it was never in my mind. Yeah. And I got to say this, man. I'm glad I'm glad that you do the kind of shows that you do, man. With you, you and brother Jason, y'all have some, y'all some research guys, man. But um, uh, you what you were saying, you know, about they rather do um, cheaper stuff. You know, our, our leadership um, has let us down, man, because. Yeah, the dollar program um, was supposed to have been piloted, and um, you know the leadership that we have now um, didn't pick up the mantle that Kathy Pugh um, left. You know, for you to have a pilot program for that, you know, and 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 the other things that could be done in place, we can do all that stuff at the same time. Absolutely, and, and brother Ty- Tyrone, we don't, we don't, we don't always. Let me let me, uh, uh, let me let me stop you right there, Mark. And and yeah. by the way. This program has no real cost because all the money for the program is being paid back. It's for loans to the citizen, not to us, to the Absolutely. citizen. And that's why yeah. it, it, it works so well, and that's why it's so popular, because just about every other program, somebody's trying to make a buck off the misery of uh, the citizens of Baltimore. This program, we're just trying to get home ownership for black yeah. people, some reciprocity and some fairness in, in housing and home ownership. You know, because right now there's more renters in Baltimore than there are homeowners. Due to all that stuff that happened with the uh, predatory lending and the the um, 
that uh that whole thing with that housing crisis that where black people were targeted with these uh these uh subprime loans when they qualify for better loans okay go ahead mark i'm sorry yes sir and and look um brother tyrone me and you we agree on mostly everything um except um for right now we can do uh, with the police we agree they uh, need to get out their cars. The one that's on need, need to get They need off. to go on that beat and, and, and engage themselves in po- community policing. That's yeah. right. Like the brothers, you know the brothers are out here walking and giving out job information and Absolutely. all that. They do it every well, Monday. They're going to do it Monday night, um, tonight. Tonight, tonight ex, ex-Marine, um, Brother George Mitchell uh, at his spot, um, uh, Langston Hughes, tonight, I guess about 6 o'clock. Okay. Um, you, know, you know where his spot at. So I hope to see you there um, tonight. Because Brother Jason... Um, won't you tell everybody, won't you, won't you tell the listening audience of veterans where is that? Um, it's 5011 Arbutus Avenue. That's Nelson and Town Road. They're going to be doing Nelson a film about the, about the eye in the sky tonight there. But but uh, you know something, um, Brother Tyrone? Yes, sir. Um, before I go, um, Brother Jason, man, um, Brother Jason is one of the people that will be on the oversight committee of, of, of that. Um, project. So when you get a chance, you know, give him a talk to him about that. Right, man. right. But you know, and, uh, you know my um, the depth of my historical knowledge about the surveillance of the black community, and um, yeah. gee, you know, if they hadn't tried to assass- have Dr. King commit suicide, the FBI, look it up. Yeah, Google it. It comes yeah. right up. If the FBI yeah. hadn't uh, killed Fred Hampton, okay, with we'll do surveillance yeah. methods and and uh, start to stack between uh, Malcolm X and um, the Nation of Islam, try to bribe National- Malcolm X. Try to destroy the yeah. Black Panthers. I mean, the list just goes on. The litany just goes on and on. Freaking, um, even even Jesus Christ was surveilled by Judas. You know what I'm saying? All repressive regimes need surveillance in order to survive. All you got to do is study let the Soviet say, Union. I'm sorry. Okay, about but, 30 seconds. Um, let me, let me take. Um, you, I agree with you on all that. You know, back in the day, they, they did all that and infiltrated and divided. And, and, and all that's that back in the day. Stuff. But they still have the leaked documents where they were spying on. Black Lives Matters as uh, black identity extremists today, yeah. not not twenty years, not fifty years ago. Today they're still doing it, and you have oh, black leak documents that state that prove they're doing it. But go ahead. This, <laughs> all all of the, the, the criminals that that we've caught, um, you know, lately um, that that committed, you know, and unfortunately right, young right. people, the, the guy that the police employed. Okay, the well, real quick, we got to agree in the show, uh, Mark, and I want to get Charles yeah, on real so, quick so, and, yeah. and Willie. So real, got, real quick, what I'm saying is. In the cell phone era and all that other era, you know, we need everything. Uh, the lady that that uh, okay. son was murdered, she said, right, right, okay, she's for it. So yeah, I, I got, I got you, I got you, and I feel for all those right, people. But can, okay, all it right, was sir. Good to see you at Leo's Crab Feast. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was gonna do the funky chicken, but time, I got there late. <laughs> all right, yeah, it was, it was right, a good part. And take then Leo could put James Brown to shame. <laughs> take it over the floor. Okay, uh, anyway, at any rate, um, I try to support Brother Leo when he has those things. Yeah, it cost me $65 a ticket, but, you know, I still had a ball. I got there late because I had other engagements, but I still try to support the brother because he's always sincere about what he's doing. Okay, and it don't take long for you to figure that out. Okay, so let's talk to um, let's talk to Charles, and then we go to Willie. Yes, greetings, brother. Yeah, good evening. I mean, uh, I'm a good, <laughs> good morning, I'm sorry. Well, I just think yeah. yeah. it's, it's even somewhere. Day in the life. Yeah, it's even in China. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I used to live in Japan at one time. Yeah, I lived in Korea for a year and a half. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, so um, 
I wish people would really take heed to what I'm saying and write this down. Dane Calloway, D-A-N-E, Calloway, C-A-L-L-O-W-Y. Okay, make the point quick now because we're ready to go off the air. I know we got a couple of the calls. Go ahead, go ahead, Charles. And I know you waited a long time. I appreciate it. Now, Dane Calloway will tell you, you know, who we are because we don't know who we are ourselves and we don't know who we're actually dealing with. And he will actually break it down for the people. See, we got too many people that were from the fields that are now in the houses and they are just using covert action for self-survival. Right. The fields being the manufacturers and the factories and the houses now being the corporations. Correct. It's all being held up by the system, by the oppressor. See, these people from the fields are now in the houses and they're holding up the oppressor system. And Dane Calloway, who is from D.C., will break down what is actually going on. He will break down. So you try what, to say we still have House Negroes in 2019, basically. Everything <laughs> is not what you really think right, it right. is. So when you get to Dane Calloway, he will tell you right. how the country was made, what, what these people are about, who you are, and where we're actually headed. Thank you. All right, Charles. I, I thank you very much. Now we're going to go to uh, Willie. And then we'll go to Ernest. But we're going to try to be quick because we already go off the air. Yeah, well, I don't have much to say because it's not much to say needed. Go ahead, uh, sir. We're being sold out by our own people. Uh, who's surveilling us? Our own people. Who, who's the undercover agents for the white man? Our own people. I mean, you got, you know, you, you keep talking about uh, white racism, but what about black sellouts? Oh, that, you, know, you got, got them too. I talk about this too. We, I talk about them too. I told him. I just told yeah. the man that yeah, we, no, we no, still no, have. I'm yeah. not talking about you. Yeah, I'm not talking about you. I'm, yeah, I'm talking about definitely general. black sellouts. Most of, the, most of the stuff, most of the stuff you hear is about white racism, right? But you don't hear about you know people like Cheryl Glenn, uh, the black, okay, the, well. black uh, pop, the black pop. Hello. Okay, well, we can't give um, personal attacks against people that they can't aren't, aren't able to defend themselves. We're not going to be engaging that. Let's just stick to what we can prove. You know, and not not innuendo. So let's go ahead, Ernest. Yeah, um, our people don't understand and don't understand history. You have a very good show. They don't understand that the ADL has been spying on us almost ever since we've been in this country. And now they want to put the eye in the sky. I don't understand black people. Well, what I was... The, the, the ADL... <laughs> I got a book. Well, Ernest, you, you fight a very hard battle because, well, like I was saying, they're appealing to people below the level of reason. They deal with their emotions. When you start talking about people, relatives that have been murdered, you know, that's a very serious thing. And you, and people will get physical with you if you try to, you know, when they're brainwashed, be, they'll fight the person that's trying to deprogram before they fight the person that's doing the brainwashing. And that's well, a true indication of brainwashing. Let me, let me, let me tell you, they, they got a book out, The Ugly Truth About the ADL and the People That They Spied On. And the majority of them spying on African-American people in this country and out in California. Uh, the other thing is Google, Umar. you talking about the Anti-Defamation League? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the ADL. Okay, okay I was just trying to clarify what you're saying. Wait, yeah, what's, what's the, the book, Anti-Defamation League. What's the book? Huh? What is the book? The Ugly Truth About the ADL. Okay, so that, now that's what I mean by you. Let's deal with something that we can quantify or at least try to research. Yeah, and the, other thing, the yeah. other thing is, uh, they gave out a somebody gave out a bad statement. Google Umar Burley. 
that was uh, one of those brothers that was locked up for 15 years, but he got out in seven in the Suda case. Right. What, somebody said that Suda was in the FBI at the time, and well, he went to the scene of the accident. But that's not the subject. That's not the subject, Aaron. We, I mean, we're just talking right now. To, that's not the subject. The subject is either if you want to talk about, you know, um, um, what's before us with the eye in the sky or what's before us with the um, black contractors and, you know, other alternatives to uh, reducing the murders in the city. You know, besides okay. the, well, the cheap way out, you know, which really doesn't stop a murder. It, you catch the person after they kill you. Right, that's right. Um, the 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 other thing about the eye in the sky, I, I just don't, I don't trust white folks that way. I don't trust the government that way. Can't trust the government. They've proven that they can't be trusted. Time, not, time, not, again. White people can trust them, but black people can't. Yeah. You always got to question stuff like that. You know, you got some guy coming from Texas, like he's a big Santa Claus. And he, he's concerned about, he passes by Chicago, he's concerned about black people killing themselves in, in Baltimore City. And, and, and if you if you got the eye in the sky, how come he doesn't have it in Dayton, Ohio, where he's right. from? Well, they, some papers said that um, during the time they flew it secretly, without our knowledge, they had 100, uh, they had, they had 100 murders and none of them were solved by that. That's what the Sun paper said. I'm not, that's not Tyrone. That's the Sun paper. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the Sun. All right? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> there you have it, you know. Thank you for being truthful, man. All right, and thank you for your call. And, and the other thing is, a lot of people talk about the police. They've never been police. There you go. That's why I let you speak when you on that. Yeah, I mean, they've poll. never been police. So when I call in, you have some try authority. to give them information, they'll hang up on me. If it's not what they want to hear. Because like I said, when somebody's brainwashed, they get, the, they get mad at the person trying to be programming them. Not at the, not at the brainwash. Okay, sorry, Ernest. Thank you for your call. Call hey, man, next week. thank you for taking my call. All right. Okay, Ronald. And then we're going to get off. It's the last call. Yeah, i like I like to ask you a question. Why is it that uh, you can say everything else, but you can't co- critique a politician? Sheryl Glenn is a politician. She's an elected official. She can't be critiqued. She can be critiqued as long as you got some evidence of what you're critiquing about. You can't just call her names. I mean, I mean look, look, you're look calling names, though. Look what HBCU vote. Look what okay. the HBCU vote. Okay, tell, let's talk about that. She accept $200 million. Let's talk about that, but that's not calling names. That's what I'm saying. What do you mean call the names? I just said a sellout. <laughs> so What's wrong with saying that they're sellout? If you sell out, you'll sell out. Okay, if so you spy, you'll t- let's talk about the SBCUs. Hey, what, man, what? you ain't real, man. No, 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 no. You no. ain't real, man. No. You, you want to talk about okay, what you want right. to talk about, but okay, whatever all right, else you want to talk about. I was going to you talk, but since you're talking nonsense, goodbye. And, and don't call back. Well, go watch a cartoon or something, you know? Because I, I want to deal with facts on this show. I ain't got time for a bunch of nonsense. You want to call somebody a name. And they, they don't have the ability to defend themselves. Tell me about what they've done or that you don't like. Don't get mad when I tell you that all you're talking about is innuendo when you're not producing any evidence of what you're talking about. I got to deal with facts on the show. Otherwise, I don't have a decent show. I have a bunch of stupidity. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. But that brings us another exciting edition of the Call Tyrone Show to an end. And uh, you always listen because you know you learn something every time you listen. And so come back next week. And join us on this exciting journey into what's really going on in real African-American history. Not the stuff you learn in school. It was just done more than a joke to keep you, you know, in your place. So this is Tyrone Bose, your humble host, signing off. Goodbye and thank you for your time. W-O-L-B Baltimore and W-E-R-Q-F-M HD3 Baltimore.